0: On to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Rick Parnell to the show. Executive, advocate, team builder, and optimist. Rick Parnell has leveraged his unique skill set to help the Foundation for Climate Restoration pursue concrete and scalable climate restoration solutions. Rick came to F4CR after 16 years with the United Nations Foundation, where he designed the foundation's partnership model and put together a team of over 300 committed individuals from across the U.S. and around the world. Under his leadership, the foundation raised more than $2.2 billion to help the U.N. solve a range of global challenges, including the deterioration of our climate. Rick, how are you doing today?
1: I am doing quite well, thank you.
0: Rick, where are you currently located? I am sitting um,
1: on Washington, D.C., about five blocks from the U.S. Capitol.
0: (laughs) Exciting times up there, huh?
1: I I, I love that you laugh when I say the U.S. Capitol. Yes, it's it's (laughs) certainly interesting in Washington right now.
0: And how's the weather up there?
1: Actually, we're having a a spectacular sort of early fall day, so... um, you know, I cannot complain as compared to some of my colleagues and, and friends um, across the country and some of what we're seeing in and, and the fires um, out west. So, I, I spectacular day here in D.C.
0: Well, good. I'm glad to hear it. So, Rick, I'd like to open my show by asking my guest the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be?
1: Oh, my goodness. Interesting about myself. Um, I... I well, you know, we were, we were chatting earlier about uh, our dogs. Um, I, I have two Cavalier uh, dogs that I just love dearly. Uh, about myself, I would say uh, what people tend to have a surprise is that I am um, one of the early uh, diagnosed dys- dyslexics um, way back in the, uh, the early 1970s. Um, so I don't know that it's interesting, but, you know, people tend to be surprised when they hear that.
0: Well, that is interesting because, you know, you have had a great career. How has it served you? It's interesting.
1: I think that it has served me because um, I have had the opportunity to work with some amazing people um, in my life through the UN, the UN Foundation, and the university before that. And what they have really been understanding about is that I have to have conversations as opposed to sending me a briefing note. Um, And so I think that what it has served me is that it's allowed for deeper conversations about issues um, from, you know, the smallest issues to the largest issues. The teams that I've worked with have always known that they need to come in and let's have a um, both a visual and an oral conversation as opposed to sending me a note.
0: You know, I think it's very interesting because I have a good friend of mine who runs a quite a large digital marketing company and we were having dinner a few weeks ago and he was kind of walking through how he, you know, all his emails are now read to him through the computer and he said, you know, he's in his 40s now, but looking back when he was younger, how much he struggled with reading and going through emails and some of the technologies enabled him to lead his company. Staying on this topic for a moment, can you share perhaps if you have had any ex- experiences like that?
1: Um, I guess, yes, a little bit on technology, especially in the last few years, and especially now with, with COVID, because, you know, you walk around with your your phone as your lifeline, Um so, uh, yeah, a little bit of that. But I think more, not necessarily technology as much as people like to to talk about the, the work they're doing, whether they work for you, with you, a partner. And so what i found is that it's allowed people to step out of um, sort of the traditional comfort zone of I'll send a briefing note and he'll read it and he'll ask me some questions to much more people having a dialogue about something that they are passionate about or um, an issue that we need to to, to work on. So... I guess not as much technology, but more um, personal interaction.
0: And I'm right there with you in a sense that I would much rather pick up a phone and have a conversation than text or email back and forth. I just feel like we can get so much more done and it's so much more clearer than a two-dimensional you know, message sitting on a screen.
1: You know, and I, I will say, maybe this is a little bit about technology, but one of the I, I hate even when you know people would say blessings or silver linings or whatever of COVID because you know I, I don't think there are necessarily. But um, one of the outcomes of COVID is that people seem to feel pretty strongly. I find that the, the webinars um, and the, the Zoom and you know what, whichever platform you're using are, are rather intimate, and I find that people in this past six, seven, eight months prefer that, that you, I know we're not doing it right now, but prefer that, that you click on screen so that you have the face-to-face interaction where before people would have picked up the phone and called me. And I, I find now more and more and more people are, no, 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 let's do it through Zoom so that I can see your face and we can actually have a, have a dialogue. So I, I guess that piece of technology and that little bit of uh, COVID outcome.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to switch gears here and ask you to give us a brief overview of, and it's a mouthful, Foundation for Climate Restoration, but I'm going to hopefully use the short term, and it's F4CR.
1: And let me just say, F4CR.org. You can learn a lot there and, and, and take the pledge. Um, so the Foundation for Climate Restoration, we are just about a year old. Um, we had some incarnations um, throughout uh, 18 and 19, as, as before me, when uh, the founders were getting organized. We launched the foundation last September um, 2019 at the United Nations General Assembly at the UN headquarters. Um, And so over the last year, we have really been um, building out the network, um, the infrastructure, um, and we like to call it the ecosystem for climate restoration. At the the end of the day, what is the foundation of climate restoration? We are uh, working across multiple partnerships to secure the third pillar of climate action. And that is climate restoration. Simply put that it is not enough to do mitigation and adaptation. We must return the earth's climate to pre-industrial levels um, and remove the carbon of the last two centuries. Um, One little known factoid is that um, a lot of, and this was me included, when I first started talking with the founder of the Foundation of Climate Restoration about um, uh, the legacy carbon, it, it had never clicked for me. It was an aha moment for me that um, 95% of the carbon that's in the atmosphere will still be here in 2050, even when we reach net zero. So for, you know, for anyone who's listening, what that means is the fires, the storms, the sea level rise, it'll all be here. So if we don't have this third pillar, again, mitigation, adaptation, critically important. But if we don't do this third pillar of simultaneously, not waiting until we get to net zero, but simultaneously removing the excess carbon and stabilizing and getting the atmosphere back to under 300 parts per million, humanity has survived and thrived at 270, 300 for thousands of years. It's only been in the last two centuries that we have had all of this um, excess carbon this as we like to say, this geoengineering that we've been doing for the last two centuries, pumping all of this carbon into the atmosphere, we have to get it out. And we cannot wait until 2050.
0: So can you share some of the ways that the foundation is working to remove some of the carbon from the air?
1: Absolutely. So I would say that the, um, the best way to think about the, the foundation is that we are, we're the head cheerleader, we're the, the spokespeople, we're the movement builders, we're the coalition builders. Um, We believe that our job over the next 10 years, and again, we have no interest in being a permanent um, organization. We want to get this job done in the next 10 years. Um, Our job over the next 10 years is to try and get every single organization engaged. And what that means is that there are several different sectors. One, the private sector. If you look at... um, Um, some of the different um, concrete companies that have come online the last couple of years and are scaling pretty rapidly that have the ability to turn carbon from the atmosphere into synthetic limestone. Um, The building industry is here to stay, I mean, obviously, and we can build in a carbon negative, not just neutral, carbon negative way over the next decade or two and remove tons and tons of carbon from the atmosphere. There's 600 to 650 different carbon removal companies, businesses, um, ideas that are currently operating, some at nascent, some at, you know, large scale, like carbon engineering and Climeworks and, and you know, Blue Planet Concrete and others. Um, so there, there's the business sector. But it, I think as important is that having things like the business sector, one of our great partners is Dave Cortese. He is the... Um, county uh, supervisor for Santa Clara County, Silicon Valley up in California. And um, he joined us last September and announced that Santa Clara was the first local government in the world to be a climate restoration government, not just a um, net neutral, but a climate restoration. And what that means is that now their planning, their procurement, their budgeting process can look for carbon negative solutions and they can scale them at the local level. So when he announced that and challenged local governments around the world, now we're talking to cities um, in Europe, uh, Africa, Kenya um, has really stepped forward um, as a lead country um, on taking um, climate restoration um, to scale in the local communities. And so, but in order for the local governments to have these kinds of solutions, the private sector has to actually have the solutions and the investment community, another um, uh, group that we're working with, needs to invest in these solutions. And so what our job is, is to make sure that everyone's talking to each other and then everyone is engaging together. Um, again, I have so many different parts of the the different sectors, private investment, local government, movement makers that have that aha moment of, wait, we, we actually can restore the climate. Why are not we focusing on that?
0: So that's... So I've had good... Good. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that's, Sorry, go that's
1: our role here is to, is to try and get everybody... Um, focused on this.
0: So I've had the good fortune of interviewing Steve Oldham from um, Direct Air Capture and most recently, or um, Carbon Engineering, I believe. And yep. most recently I interviewed Rob Niven from Carbon Cure. Are you familiar with this company?
1: I'm a little bit familiar with Carbon Cure. Um, Carbon Engineering is a, is a partner of ours. They just spoke at our second annual forum. So they're, they're, uh, they're good friends of ours.
0: So both great companies can you speak about some of the other technologies you've seen on the horizon that are helping removing carbon from the air yeah I
1: would say um, there are a few again there are three four five different um, concrete companies that are coming online and scaling that's one two we are seeing increasing uh, ocean solutions you've heard you know a lot of people have talked about kelp and and um, and some of the the ideas there but that's also somewhat of a technological or I guess a market driven, I should say, in that it has the ability to um, be human food, it can be um, feedstock, it can be into, into beauty products. And so it's, it's sort of a, I love, I love it because it's a natural and technological um, or business uh, solution.
0: So as part of your ecosystem or as part of you know what you do, education is a big piece. Can you share what the organization is doing around education?
1: Sure. Um, Education broadly, we work with several different partners. Um, One of our closest partners that was one of the earliest to take on climate restoration was Earth Day Network. And they um, joined us for their 50th anniversary um, this past year um, in April of this year. But over the last 12 months, they have increasingly called on their network globally to restore our Earth. Um, Kathleen Rogers, the president of Earth Day, during our forum this past two weeks ago um, during um, UNGA, she announced that the next two years, that their theme is um, climate restoration and restore the earth. What they do is they're able to um, train in local communities because they have networks um, in countries across the world. That's one. Two is that we have a new partner um, the Girl Up campaign. Um, this is a, a really amazing campaign. Um, Truth in Advertising. It was one that uh, I helped develop when I was at the UN Foundation. We we started it about ten years ago, and it's grown to more than a hundred countries globally, um, teaching um, and empowering young girls. This is the first climate issue that they have taken on. They joined us as a full partner um, this uh, this past September at the, at the forum. Um, they are taking on climate restoration as their climate issue. What this will do is, is teach and empower girls around the world on the issue of climate restoration. We're doing the same thing with building our own local chapters. Again, we'd like to do everything in partnership. Um, but you know other, for us, it's, it's, it's also about having um, multi-sectors. So another great partner that we uh, brought on this past summer was Broadway Green. So as you can imagine, um, Broadway is, is absolutely hurting right now. But the, but they're using the time to further build their networks of um, environmentalists. Not only when you think about Broadway Green, it's not only Broadway itself, which of course is the the actors, the producers, the everybody who works, the lighting techs. But it's also little known is that they have networks across college campuses. They have them, um, um, you know, the local um, theater in uh, towns across the U.S. So, you know, that's another network. Um, but, you know, thinking in terms of um, having all kinds of, we're working with the faith community. You may have seen that uh, Pope Francis on September 1st, um, in, I think it's his annual letter, um, but he uh, called on, quote, climate restoration as a critical um, component to, um, to our common home, um, as he says. Um, and so the faith community has been a great partner, again, multiple, multi-faith. So our education and our, our message is that whether you're in the pews, you're in school, you're at work, um, you're a parent, you're a child, wherever you are, you should be calling on climate restoration from your leadership.
0: I did see that letter and I, I'm you know, amazed by that and appreciate the fact that he mentioned that. You mentioned the Girl Up campaign earlier. I'm asking for selfish reasons. I have three daughters. Did you say you're looking to start local chapters?
1: No, they have local chapters. So let me just speak somewhat for them. Again, I'm quite proud of Girl Up. It was something that we started at the UN Foundation. Um, They have chapters and they've grown organically. Um, So they have chapters in more than 100 countries and they are... Um, looking to continue to grow, this is climate restoration is a new issue for them that um, they are looking to grow that part of their their chapter network. So I would absolutely and I'm happy to make that connection, um, but uh, th- th- absolutely they are looking to grow their chapters.
0: So I will connect with you offline regarding that. I appreciate you sharing no that. Can you speak to what the foundation is doing around advocacy?
1: Yes. Um, again, working through all the different partners that I've mentioned, um, we're also doing um, a series of um, webinars. Um, we have been uh, working on all sides of the aisle. We, we in the U.S., we introduced a resolution um, last fall calling a congressional resolution calling for climate restoration admittedly it did not go particularly far but those were early days so we will be at this again um, post-election we are working with earth day network and several of their partners on a campaign called vote earth vote early Um, and the idea there is um, voting now not waiting um, and to um, whether you vote left right or center um, vote for the climate and vote for climate restoration so Um, And and you'll see more and more of that. We launched the road to Glasgow, as we're calling it, um, last week as part of Climate Week um, NYC. And the idea behind that is that working from partners that, as I've mentioned, Girl Up and and Earth Day, but also TED, TED Countdown. I think you've um, interviewed Trammell Crow, another partner, um, EarthX and EarthX TV. Um, We have a couple of dozen partners and growing that we'll be working across over the next year to bring climate restoration as the full third pillar of action at COP26 in Glasgow next year. So you'll see a lot of different advocacy work there. Um, another uh, um, piece that we're working is um, sort of internal advocacy. and What I mean by that is that the carbon removal task force that we launched at Davos works across all the different sectors Uh, movement builders, uh, corporations, investors, countries um, to bring carbon removal and climate restoration um, fully into with a goal towards um, COP26. So, you know, advocacy over the next year will be all about making sure that we come out of Glasgow next November with climate restoration being fully engaged as the third pillar of climate action.
0: I love the idea of engage. You know, I feel like what you're doing is a very active approach rather than a passive approach. You mentioned Santa Clara earlier. We are actually sponsoring a webinar in mid-October where we're speaking to city of Dallas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio regarding their climate action plans that they've all committed to. Uh, Dallas and Houston came out with them earlier this year back in April. The question is, what can we do to engage or encourage these cities to take, to take a more active approach to, you know, removing carbon from the air?
1: Yeah, I think that they should, they should learn more and we should educate them more. But I think that um, understanding more about the solutions that are out there, again, at the local municipal level, the idea is like uh, uh, Dave Cortez said to me uh, last fall when we were beginning to have these conversations, we're going to build, these buildings and these roads and these sidewalks anyway why wouldn't we want to build them in a carbon negative it's just such a simple that the the cost differential is something around one two percent so um for essentially the same cost why not go for a carbon negative not just carbon neutral it's such a it's a it's a you know as they say it's a pretty light lift so why not call for it so um and i think joining the um the the road to glasgow conversation um one of our partners is the um mayor's office uh, los angeles garcetti's um, office they are part of the global carbon removal task force that we co-founded with thunderbird university arizona state and um, the president uh, of kenya's team um they are talking about climate restoration they haven't you know fully um come on board yet but um I, I think that you know, strengthen numbers. This is something that um, any local government can do, but it's also something that any constituent can do. Um, I can't tell you how many people coming out of the last couple of weeks have said, "Well, should I be contacting my local government and saying why aren't you talking about climate restoration?" Obviously, the answer is yes, yes, of course you should. It's it's a it's a simple way to get engaged.
0: And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Mayor Garcetti also leads the Mayors for Climate Change Organization too.
1: The C40. Um, correct. Yes, he does. He does indeed.
0: Interesting. So I'm going to switch gears here and get to the crux of our conversation, the why behind what you do. So if I have, my research is correct, 17 years with the UN Foundation, I believe you retired and then took this position. Is that correct?
1: I did. I. I uh... When I when I left the the UN Foundation, it was a really really hard decision, but it was, you know, at, at some point um, you want to be able to focus on your passions, and so I I took about a year and um, was really thinking through because I'm also you know quite active in LGBT issues um, and some others. Um, but when I was approached, I was actually at um, I you know th- thought a lot about what I could do in climate, and frankly, I'll be really honest, I, I was. I was really getting frustrated um, with the lack of movement um, and the lack of inspiration and, you know, positive messaging around what we could possibly do in climate. And then when I was approached by Peter Frakowski, the founder of the Foundation for Climate Restoration, he started, this was at a Forbes summit, he started talking to me about climate restoration. And I had the same reaction that a lot of people do first, wait, we can't restore the climate. And then as we talked and we looked at the different solutions and the numbers and the science, and it was wait, we actually can. Um, and so, you know, that's when I got so deeply engaged. And then they asked me to come in and, and uh, take the the role of CEO for the foundation. Um, I, I would say that there is no more important issue. All issues are important. Um, but there's no more important issue to the entire future of humanity than climate and restoring the climate. And for me, it's that both the solution oriented, the can do, you know, what I, my own belief is that when you tell human beings that um, they're doomed, there's, there's, we've gone over the cliff, there's nothing more you can do, then they're paralyzed. Um, I think Jane Fonda calls it the, uh, um, the attitude of, you know, well, let's, let's just, you know, let's have a party because it's, it's over anyway. Um, No, it's, it's, it's much more about we can actually get this done. And so that was what really attracted me to climate restoration. What I found over the last year as we've continued to, to really build this out is that people, and I think COVID has actually um, played this out a little bit, but people, when they really understand, I think that people want to get engaged. They know they can do behavior change. Um, I think we've seen that, not, not perfectly, but we've seen a lot of behavior change in the last six to nine months. Um, but I think that for me, it's it's the it's the most positive message on climate, which I think again is probably the biggest issue um, out there. So that's that's why I'm really enjoying it.
0: So when you encounter you know people and you explain to them about climate restoration, what's that conversation look like? How do you walk them through? I, I understand Peter walked you through, it, but how do you walk like someone that's unaware of it through that conversation?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It's that um, it ranges. It pretty much. Um, universal first, first blushes, wait, 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 you can't restore. And then of course, you know, some, some people will say, well, wait a minute, you're not going to bring back the species that are extinct. No, of course we're not. But um, once people understand that, what we're talking about is getting the the carbon to pre-industrial levels and that it's possible and it can be done in a um, market-based solutions driven approach, both natural and technological, they, the, the next thing that happens is they have that aha, wait, maybe this is possible. And then the third is that people get really, really engaged um, and then get positive. I had a, um, a young woman, Ashley Meekie. She came to our first annual forum uh, last September at the UN. She was a 17-year-old um, senior in um, Chicago, and she uh, came to the forum, and The day after the forum, we had a small uh, group discussion about, you know, where do we go from here? And she was there and she said, you know, I came into the forum thinking, again, 17 years old, brilliant young woman. She said, I came into the forum thinking that I had no future. And she said, I've had a 180 experience and I'm leaving the forum realizing I have a future and um, it's in my hands and we, we can restore the climate. We can make this change. We just have to choose to do it. Fast forward a year later, she is now on our board. She's 18 years old, and she is a freshman in college at uh, Vanderbilt. Um, unbelievable! She she will absolutely rule the, rule the world someday. But for me, that's the most perfect example of what happens with people: is that you know they begin with "Wait, can we?" and then as they understand the science, the the, the solutions, the investments. Um, and then when you come out the other side, it's like, well, why won't I call for this? Why won't I work hard on this? Um, sure, of course, this is going to be hard, but it's so incredibly rewarding.
0: It must be a lovely feeling to see people's eyes open up and move from perhaps despair to hope.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you, and to, to see, you know, so many times over the last year, I've just watched people's faces and body languages as they've just, just light up of like, wait it's not too late. No, it's not. It's not too late.
0: It's not too late. You're right. So you've been with the organization just over a year. What's some of the most valuable lessons that you would say you've learned about yourself and the journey?
1: Um, I I would say patience. It takes time. Uh, I I am, you know, much like (laughs) Bill Gates, I'm a a terribly impatient optimist, but, um, uh, so I, I think a little bit of patience. Um, I think that, um, understanding that people are really set in wait, no, nope, mitigation adaptation, we have a plan. let's let's not let's not uh, veer off the plan. Well, actually we can do all three at the same time. I think that's been one of the biggest um, both frustrations and learnings for me is that having people get to that point of wait. okay, so you're not saying don't do um, emissions reductions and all that. No, we're saying do this third piece. Um, so I think the lesson there is, is making sure that you help people through that journey. Um, and again, for some people, the journey can be a, you know, a a 60 minute conversation for some people it may take a couple of days or a couple of conversations, but I think having that patience, um, is important. Um, and I think that the, I'm a firm believer. I always believe this in management as well, but that you meet people where they are. So, um, Again, as I think I said earlier in the conversation, whether it's at work, at school, in the pews, wherever you are, um, meeting people there so that climate restoration is, for lack of a better, packaged in a way that is um, understandable um, and um, meets people's needs for understanding and how they can get active
0: in it. I agree meeting people where they are because I feel like sometimes people try to convince people too quickly and people tend to shy away from that.
1: Yeah. I mean, people tend to, to shy away and, you know, I'm a firm believer that um, if you have a conversation and, and you know, the facts are there, that people people will join. They, they want to join something that's, that's positive. They want to be able to um, help secure their own future and their children's and grandchildren's future. You don't have to browbeat. You don't have to, you know, um, people will get there on their own.
0: Yes, they will. So it's let's call it 2025. What does the future look like for F4CR?
1: Um, I hope that the, what the future looks like is that we are um, reading the IPCC special report on climate restoration Um, I hope that we will be attending, you know, uh, the next uh, UN General Assembly where um, climate restoration will be a full um, third pillar of action. Um, I hope that there will be all kinds of research, which is an incredibly big part here. We're just at the very beginning stages of climate restoration. There are so many solutions out there that need to be tested. They need research dollars. Things like an IPC special report will drive that. Um, you know, our good friend, Sir David King at the, um, Cambridge university, he is building, um, centers for climate repair globally with a university, uh, network. I hope that in 2025, that they are global, um, and universities across the world. Um, I hope that it is not a head scratcher for people when we say climate restoration, because they will have heard so much about it. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and I, I hope that, that, Leadership across the world will be talking about how they are working um, at the government level, local, national, um, for restoring the climate. And I hope that when I say there's 600, 650 different climate um, companies and solutions out there, I hope it's tenfold. I have a, um, one of our colleagues, Christine Harada. She was President Obama's chief sustainability officer. She's um, a great friend, and she's spoken at a few of our webinars over the last month. As she likes to say, uh, 10, 15 years ago, um, wind and solar industry were, were pretty shaky um, and it was a you know, it was a leap of an investment and you know look for where they are now. I hope that we will be seeing um, you know carbon negative concrete to, to kelp to all other kinds of solutions will be um, fully mainstreamed by then.
0: you painted a beautiful picture and I look forward to seeing it come to fruition. <laughs> Thank you, so do I. So Rick, my last question, and you've sprinkled the conversation with advice, but you know, if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? And I'm going to add to that, you know, if somebody wanted to take some specific individual action regarding carbon restoration, what could they do?
1: Well, let me start with that. I think that what could they do is that first get engaged in your local community. Again, wherever you're listening, doesn't matter where you are in the world, what is your local community? If it's your local government, if it's your if your your uh, your house of faith, if it's your school, um, you know, we've had youth um, working with us saying our school's not doing anything. Well, you can you can you can make them do it. You can call for it. So again, wherever you are, whichever walks of life and in your community, um, look to leadership and and ask them why they're not doing climate restoration and demand it. So that's one. So use your voice. Um, and get engaged, um, piece of advice. Um, I think that the, the often frustrating, but clearly important, I think it's a little bit about how we we were talking earlier about meet people where they are. You have to understand people's story. So everybody has a story in their own head and it's the story of where they come from. And it's also the the story of where they live. And some people will get to climate restoration really quickly, run the numbers and say, that makes sense. And others, you're you're looking at an entire um, you know dogma of of how people believe, and and you have to you have to again I keep coming back to this, but you have to meet them where they are and understanding what their life experience has been. Um, I think that if you are um, open to that and empathetic to that, that you will have so many more people that will join you on whatever mission it is that you're doing. But I think that it's it's truly about trying to understand. Um, where people are coming from
0: you know that part about story and understand where people are coming from i think it goes back to earlier in our conversation when we were speaking about actually talking to each other rather than texting or emailing having more open candid conversations so i think it ties in there very nicely
1: yeah no i mean it's (laughs) i used to uh I used to tell this story when we had a a pretty large staff at the UN foundation and you know, some of the young staff would ask me questions and I would say to them, this really sounds kind of silly, but I would say to them, look, we're always the 12 year old sitting behind daddy's big desk or whatever. Um, You're always going to have some of that in your head of um, you know, in some ways we're always having that, that ever changing life experience, no matter how old you are. And so I think understanding that, None of us have all the answers. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think that having the the understanding, compassion, and empathy of where people are and and what their life experience has been will go really, really far as you're trying to get them to understand what it is that you're trying to do for, for climate restoration or any other issue that you're working on.
0: Agree. And I think it's a great place to leave off. Rick, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Is there anything I should have asked you or should have explored that we haven't?
1: Um no I think you I think you got it again I think the most important thing is that every single person on this planet has a role to play. Um again uh, the, the future of humanity can be incredibly bright we just have to choose to make this 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 pivot and and restore the climate. So thank you for this
0: time. Thank you Rick. And I'm going to add please go to the website f4cr.org and sign the pledge. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go, I'm excited to share that we've launched our comic strip, The Adventures of Mira and Nexi. You can find the first issue at our website, nexuspmg.com, under the Original Content tab. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about send me an email btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website nexuspmg.com and while you're there you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech green tech sectors bigger than us is a nexus pmg production